Imagine this. You've just tasted the sweet success of your single reaching the charts. Then suddenly you're on Saturday Night Live with David Bowie. And while you're touring the world with a rock and roll icon, you're buddies with Def Leppard. And to think you started it all from a small border town. So who are you? And what changed the game for you? Let's find out. You're listening to Game Changers, the podcast series with Brittle Star. Today's guest, M. Groiner. So, hey, M, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's like the, everyone has that stock phrase ready to go. <laughs> thanks and for it having always, me. It always has to sound like you're in a great mood, too. Thanks for having me. <laughs> but I actually, I actually am in a great mood because I haven't talked to you in a long time and it's nice to hear from you. Well, I thought I would sort of, uh, you know me, I'm always like looking to du- sort of double purpose anything I do in life. So I thought, hey, I could do something personal and have that sort of communication maintained with you. And I could also create content. Yeah, you're back on my Christmas card list. Am I? Yeah, just from admitting that. <laughs> just, be- just being honest. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, well, I mean, you and I have known each other for quite a while, actually. I think it's been a long time, really. Mm-hmm, we have. Uh, like 10 years or more, I would think. Mm-hmm. Made That's some crazy. sweet music together. We did make yeah. some sweet music together. Yeah, you and I. I was actually telling someone the other day, uh, I think I was mentioning that I was hoping to get you on the podcast, and they were super excited. And uh, I said, you know, I actually made a three-song hair metal EP with, <laughs> with them. And they're like, What? <laughs> And I said, yeah, it was called Wolfcraft and uh, her brother played guitar and uh, we had songs like Text and Burn, uh, Hot Hybrid Nights. Yeah. And your fake uh, German rock name. Uh, Oh, yes. And the GPS to your heart. Yes. Well, you had the name uh, Agnes Lautkatz. (laughs) I can't believe it's coming out. I can't remember what my name was, though. It was something with a Hans or something. <laughs> oh, Hansi or something like that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I think I found out afterwards I was sort of making fun of that name, but it was like my friend's cousin who just recently died or something. He was old. It's okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we did that, and this person couldn't believe it, so it was that was exciting. But listen, that's not why we're here. That's not why we're we're chatting currently. We're chatting currently because I want to find out if... If you think about where you are now, can you think back to one or more people, places, or opportunities that happened to you, things that happened or people that you came into contact with who you think were like game changers for you? People who were like, wow, they kind of opened your eyes to, to, to new possibilities or opportunities or whatever. Yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, you mentioned, you know, singing with David Bowie and that... I feel like that was a little bit of good luck. You know, I I never (laughs) meant to be a backing vocalist, but uh, in that case, I suppose it all started when I decided to go through the phone book. You remember the phone book? Yeah, vaguely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And um, I was looking for a manager when I was around 21 and I I saw an Irish name, Michael Mm -hmm. Murphy. Okay. Michael Murphy. And I was like, oh, that's a good name. And it, this was actually a, a music industry phone book, I should right. add. Yeah. And, uh, Not so just, I, you just weren't going through the <laughs> thinking of Irish names or anything. Yeah. Um, and I plucked him out and I was like, oh, he can be my manager because he's got a cool name, Michael Murphy. Yeah. And uh, he started managing a, a, a woman named Holly Palmer. And mm-hmm. uh, she 
was she got a job singing with David Bowie. Right. And then they needed another backing vocalist. So, um, you know, that was a case of, uh, you know, it all came back to, I suppose, me trolling uh, a, a phone book. So would you say, I mean, like, I mean, obviously the David Bowie thing is a massive deal. Um, But if you go back further, you already had success prior to that. And even just the fact that you had the confidence to just like call up a manager and say, yeah, you're going to be my manager. I mean, was there a point in which you, you decided when you were, you know, creating music or performing or whatever, writing songs and you thought to yourself, yeah, I'm, you know, this has happened or I've had this, something's happened to me. And I, and I think, I think I'm good enough. You know, when you're a teenager, you just think you're awesome at everything. That's true. At least I so did. So yeah. I, <laughs> I think that I knew I was going to get a record deal like when right. I was 16 or 17 and just like everyone get out of my way so we can get right. a record deal. And, uh, you know, at that time, you probably remember they were kind of giving them out left and right, like. Before it all, ex- I think it was slightly after my time because I mean I was involved in music as well, and nobody gave me a record deal. I actually got sent. <laughs> I actually got sent to singing lessons instead. That's oh, not gosh. a joke. That's not even a joke. But look where you are now. So uh, <laughs> who, uh, who wins? Who wins? Um, so yeah, I think I just kind of always thought I was going to get one, and then when I got one, you know, when you're 21, you kind of think, "Yep, That's nailed it. it. Yeah. Got it. Whatever." So that had already happened, sure. But um, as quickly as I got that, it went away. So, oh, right. Yeah, I, I sang with, I, I got that David Bowie gig right after that uh, whole situation ended. So, did having, did losing that deal uh, kind of make you open your eyes to like other possibilities? Like you, you said you'd never, you know, thought of being a backing vocalist. Um, but having lost that deal where you're like, you know what? Okay, let's take a, let's take a bigger look at this picture here. Right. Let's buy like a sequin dress and learn some (laughs) dance moves. No, not at all actually. But I did like, I remember being on the major label and, um, I always took it with a bit of a grain of salt. Like because I, I wasn't really sure about some of their ideas. Like, if anyone knows some of my early songs, they're 100% depressing. Right. Okay. And one of the things the record label wanted me to do was go to um, a very famous ice cream shop in New York City called mm-hmm. Seren- Serendipity. Yeah. And just serenade, serenade the customers. Just <laughs> uh, <laughs> table to table and uh, with these really super minor key depressing songs and i would say the number of people that wanted me to do that was zero yeah yeah so i felt awesome i felt like i could do what i wanted to do and make my path uh but what i what i really did was go to a a very small cottage Mm -hmm. in godrich ontario yeah prettiest Um, sunset and no prettiest little town in canada i believe is what the sign says yeah so from you know new york city to Godrich, Ontario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I made an album for like 500 bucks. Right. Um, you know, my major label budget was like quarter of a million dollars. Crazy. So I made this little record that had like cello and guitar and I just did it all myself, like used right. my little recording skills. Mm-hmm. And um, that was actually, that led to a whole bunch of other things because it, you know, I remember Gord Downey from the Tragically Hip. He wrote me a letter about that record, and it kind of gave me the faith to know that I could 
do whatever I wanted. So, well, yeah. see, I think that's the key point to me. Like, there's a couple of things. One is that, uh, you know, having that ne- what would be a normally negative experience of losing your record deal kind of made you realize, okay, I, I don't have to be, you know, held uh, to those people anymore. I can do whatever I want. And that kind of let you create something that then took you to the next level. So it's kind of a weird, it's like, it's like all those sort of pivotal moments aren't necessarily positive, uh, but they end up being positive. And then, yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. It wasn't without its, you know, uh, there are a few drawbacks. A lot of industry people were thinking, oh, this is done for her. Sure. Um, And I, I think there were a couple news headlines that you'd really appreciate it with the <laughs> creative flair. There was um, something about the change from major to minor Whoa. for, gr- for Griner. <laughs> it's just like, oh, okay, I guess my you parents aren't going to cut that one. I would put it on the fridge. Getting slandered by the New York Post? That's amazing. <laughs> I think it was really some <laughs> little Canadian paper. But yeah, so, you know, those things... Um, it depends how you, what you, I guess. How so you was Gord? Things, I mean, obviously, right? like when you get those types of accolades and um, just words of encouragement from people who you really respect, like uh, like for me, it was when I was doing music, it was Stephen Duffy, and he's a guy who's had an interesting solo career and uh, helped found, you know, form Duran Duran and stuff. And so mm-hmm. I had a lot of respect for him. Mm-hmm. And when he kind of took me seriously, it was like, oh. Okay, well, I I guess people can take me seriously. Was Gord Downey the first person to have that effect on you, as far as like a prominent person? I think possibly because when I made that record, I really just made it to when I made the small record. I called it Science Fair because mm-hmm. I felt like it was an experiment. Like, let's right. see if I can do this on my own. Right. Um. And uh, no volcanoes were built. Mm-hmm. Just so you know. Mm, I understand. Soda vinegar. Um, but you know, I just kind of. It's <laughs> an excellent, felt... excellent comic delivery, by the way. <laughs> it's always good when you get to the punchline to mumble it so no one can really hear it. <laughs> right. <laughs> All I need some lessons from you. Um, but uh, I think because he wrote that at the height of his fame, you know, like it was things are really going great for him and. Just for someone to put like a pen onto a piece of paper yeah. in the 90s or yeah. whenever that was, um, you know, it also showed like a level of kindness and kind of, um, you know, let's take time out to like kind of support someone. And I, right. I do feel like that has carried on with me where I try to do that kind of for other people. Oh, yeah. I was going to so. say like that's one of the things uh, I've been talking about and and, and how you can play the role of game changer for somebody else by doing stuff like that, like being someone else's good luck and, mm-hmm. and, you know, giving them encouragement or just acknowledging them. Um, I think it's so hard sometimes when you're doing something or you, you have these goals or aspirations and they're just so, you know, intangible. And if someone outside of your own head says it recognizes them, it's like, Oh God, they're real, mm-hmm. which I think is great. And I think if you're able to do that, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Just a little support. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so obviously there was other points after that, like you've had, you've had a really interesting career. You're still having an interesting career and, uh, lots of, 
amazing accolades like that. Does it just, I mean, uh, and lots of different things that you've done as well, like weird stuff that you've done, not weird, but you know what I mean? Uh, varied, <laughs> varied bio. things. Weird stuff. <laughs> weird stuff. Uh, that's just a section. Um, <laughs> but you know, who else can you, is there other things that you can think of as that? I mean, obviously if we can jump ahead to the Bowie thing, did you find, even though you didn't want to be a backing vocalist, did you find yourself thinking, that you had somehow changed levels or did you think, uh, no, this is just a gig or do you think maybe I'm a different league or what was the feeling about that? Well, first of all, I felt very, um, uneducated about David Bowie. Um, right. I, when I took the job, I thought the rebel rebel was by the stones. So that was, ouch. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, cause I was, you know, when you grow up in the eighties, you just kind of know what you know. And I didn't really look be, like at what happened before Let's Dance. Right, right. Um, there was a lot going on when I was <laughs> little. Obviously, I didn't explore anything. Yeah, that's fair that. enough. That's fair enough. Um, so the first day of our rehearsals, um, I thought went ab- like abysmally. Like, okay. I, is that a word, abysmally? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And... Um, what I loved is that he was just like, whatever. I, I right. think I, I went up to him afterwards and I said, it's going to be so much better tomorrow. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you're fine. Like he just yeah. totally. And I, I think I knew, it, you know, I've never been a backing vocalist. So there's all these nuances and like a, sure. a certain role you have to play. And when you've been the center of attention your whole life and then suddenly you're like shaking the tambourine and right. um, all that, it's a whole shift of um, uh, you know, ego shift of personality, mm-hmm. responsibility, all that stuff. Right. So, um, yeah, I think the next day I just like, I'm going to wear black, like a ninja. I'm going to nail it. Okay. So then, then the next day I nailed it. So I learned a little bit of like self, um, you know, the, you know, kind of trick yourself into making it work. Really. I think I was the least qualified person to get that job, but um, in a lot of ways, I, you know, I mean, I know I brought something to the table, but anyone could have done it. Right. To be honest. Well, I mean, I think that, or rather, do you think that these game changing moments that happen for you at being, uh, you know, getting in contact with Michael Murphy and, uh, uh, getting your first deal, then losing your first deal and then. Uh, getting hired by Bowie, do you think you can ignore those and nothing will happen? Meaning, meaning, do you do you have to be aware of those moments in order to make them into something, or do they just kind of happen? You know, that's a good question. Um, I think there's an element of um, you know. I always say you got to put yourself in the path of opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Like. I mean, I would not have been hired for Bowie's band had I not been crossing the border illegally. Right. And playing shows in New York. Right. Okay. So uh, there's a certain element of like, you've got to, I'm not advising that anyone cross the border illegally. (laughs) It's getting harder. It's pre 9-11, pre 9-11. Yeah. But um, I I think that, uh, you know, being in the right place at the right time, that kind of thing. And also having a little bit of a blind faith that, you know, like, I think when you're younger, you have that a lot. And then as we get older, we sort of like, 
I don't know where it goes, but um, you kind of just have to throw yourself into it. I mean, have you found that? Well, I mean, I think there really is like when you're a teenager and you have a goal, whether it be, you know, music, acting, sports, whatever, you do kind of have this blind confidence, like, well, I can just mm-hmm. do this. And I th- I'm not sure if that's like a recent thing, like a generational thing, meaning I don't know if our, our parents' generation had that same experience when they were teenagers. And if we just kind of drummed into us, that so you can be whoever you want to be. Uh, and that kind of really stuck with us. I'm not sure. Um, but I think it's, you know, one of the things that's really interesting to me is that talking to people doing this podcast and people who are successful people and all of them say essentially the same thing. They all say you need to just kind of create, you have to get, as you said, you have to be in the path of opportunity. So you need to actually get out there and start doing something. Mm-hmm. You can't just sort of sit and wait. Like very, I don't think, I haven't heard anyone say, well, I was doing nothing. And then this opportunity <laughs> landed on my lap, True. you know? Yeah, and true. so I think that's really interesting to me is that, uh, in a sense, you are kind of creating these game-changing moments so that you're you're available to them, and you can mm-hmm. you can kind of miss them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times it doesn't make sense. In um, what way? In what way? Some well, some of the things that that you do to get yourself in that position where great things can happen. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, just uh, trips uh, to places. Like like in Nashville, New York, LA, if you're right. a musician or whatever, like sometimes it doesn't. I don't think you always like know what mm-hmm. you're getting yourself into, right? Yeah. But it's when you put yourself in a place where there are people who, uh, you know, like to do what you do at yeah. a certain level that you want to do it at, then undoubtedly something's going to happen. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think you're absolutely right. I think you do have I think you do have to sort of start moving and you know, each step doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense and I, and certainly the case has been that for myself and you know, going we would take trips to LA and we started doing social media video stuff and we'd have no real agenda apart from like meeting up with other people who did that and trying to make mm-hmm. more content. Um, yeah. but all that stuff adds up, I guess in the end somehow and has some sort of accumulative you know, effect on, Mm -hmm. I don't know, whatever the powers that be or something. I'm not sure. Yeah. I like what you said though, about not having an agenda because Mm -hmm. it's, I think that's hard for people to understand that like something great can come out of a coffee with someone, but you almost can't go into that coffee expecting that something's going to happen. Do you know what I mean? You got to go into it. Like, I really just want to have coffee with this person. Like Mm -hmm. I'm interested in this person and you know, I have something to share with this person. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't yeah. know, because I think people kind of pick up on that um, networking thing. Do you know what I mean? I've never really. I, th- I think so. Yeah, I think that the, you know, uh, the people that I think if you, you exactly, you can't go out there thinking as a user, you can't go out there and say, I'm going to see what I can get out of these people and just, you know, use them all as stepping stones <laughs> to get to the next level. Because I think you kind of, you quickly find out that people talk to each other and then you've burnt all those bridges and you can't get any further. Right. Um, I think that there's, you know, or you're uh, just an unpleasant person all around. Or you're just exactly. You're yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, unpleasant. I have this, That's so hard. <laughs> How can someone tell that they're being like presented with like a pivotal moment, like a game changing moment? Is there any way to tell? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, that's what I'm here for. 
Um, I, I guess there's the element of like discomfort a little bit, right? Um, mm-hmm. Meaning you know, like nervousness? Yeah, like what I was saying about my first day in rehearsals of just like, right. this is not my this is not my world kind of thing. Um, right. And there are, there are times when you'll feel that and you'll know it's the wrong thing for you. But there are times where I think you can feel that and just it's just because you're moving forward um, creatively that um, it can be scary, right? I like the idea of this, you know, having these game changing moments, which are actually negatives, but they're positives. So, for example, like um, Drew Scott, one of his game changing moments was essentially uh, running out of money, like having no money. Mm -hmm. And it made him reevaluate sort of like what his his skill set was and what his potential was. And then that kind of led to other stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think those game changing moments can be both negative or positive. It's just how you act upon them. I think think so, totally. And as I get older Mm -hmm. and more life happens, um, Mm -hmm. I actually do think most of what's happened in the past 10 years hasn't been negative, but challenging, right? Um, Sure. So, and from those things, then you just, it's, you're right. It's how you grow from it, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like, a lot of my career, when you're an independent artist, you're just mm-hmm. kind of like feeling around in the dark for stuff. And there's right. there's no one to say, hey, I know what would be great for you. You know, mm-hmm. so you you take like tragedy or challenge and turn it into something. And I think that's actually right. been most of my life. <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> I say with a laugh. I think you're right, though. I think it's totally right. I think, I mean, and I mean, I think that that plays into the your your saying of you have to be in the path of opportunity. And I think that opportunity probably comes in a variety of ways, uh, but rarely comes, rarely just kind of it comes to you for nothing. Mm-hmm. You're usually already kind of you've already laid the groundwork for opportunity to happen to you. Yeah, um, and also not to get too like, you know. Um, introspective or philosophical Mm. or whatever but I do think that if you know why you're doing what you're doing um, right that's an amazing compass especially when crap happens to you right Um, so what do you mean why what do you mean by why well it 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 gives you um sort of a, a a clear path to the other mm-hmm. side, I think. Like, you know, you mentioned your other guest was talking about having no money as it being a game changer. Yeah. But, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I got audited, right? Right. And that's not fun. No, Just I've to been make, through it. Make it's that terrible. Clear. But you know yeah. what? It's like uh, halfway through a, sort of a really terrible experience like that, you wonder, why am I, why am I doing what I'm doing, right? Why right. am I doing music? Like, Mm-hmm. In my audit case, it was that I was just purely disorganized. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. Um, and then you're, you're sort of asked, um, you ask yourself, well, why, why would I go through this whole um, situation? And then mm-hmm. you answer, you know, my answer was that I just really believe in music. So right. um, it's worth it to go through th- something terrible so that you can become more organized, so you can be take your career or your, your finances or your art more seriously, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the same with just like losing a record deal or losing a marriage or whatever. Um, right. Right. Both of which I've done. <laughs> um, then you just ask yourself at at the end of it, like why, like why do I do what I do? So right, right. This is going to be a good podcast for families that are taking their kids to ice cream parlors. They should. <laughs> I think yeah, wanna, yeah, yeah. It's perfect time for me to go back to that ice cream parlor. It yeah. is right. I just swat ice cream cones out of kids' hands and say, <laughs> "Game changer." <laughs> what do you do now? <laughs> Okay, so that was great. I really appreciate that. So tell me, uh, what are you working on now that you're most excited about? Oh, that's a good question. Um, You know what? I have a trio that I Mm -hmm. sing with, and Mm -hmm. we have like... I like how you're being secretive about them. I have a trio. (laughs) A secret trio. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We only come out at night. (laughs) Um, No, it's a sort of a roots folk trio. And, you know, Dana's from Stratford and Lindsay's from London, Ontario. And um, Mm -hmm. it's it's been really, really great after being a solo artist for so long Mm -hmm. to tour with other women and Mm -hmm. like, you know, make, make music that's full of harmonies and, and kind of Canadian topics and right. um that is a really healing kind of bonding thing for me. So we just take that show on the road and people laugh, cry and dance. Dance. Like That's fantastic. And and I like dance. how you still haven't said the name. You're a terrible marketer. Oh yes, yeah, terrible. They're called uh we are called Trent Severn. So thanks Em for joining us. We really appreciate that. Um I like your take. I like the, you know, getting the path of opportunity and just that notion that these game changing moments can be negative or positive, but you know, it's, it's what you take from it and what you, you go forward from there with. Well, thank you. And it's great to talk to you as always. You're supposed to say thanks for having me. Oh shoot. Right. In that wait. Hey, that's sort of new. Thanks for having me. You have to do it like in the old TV panel style where you're like, thanks for having me. We kind of like rush it out. I imagine that we, if we were on video, we would have just paused there at the end. Yeah, probably. With a smile on Exactly, exactly. You've been listening to Game Changers, the podcast series with Bristle Star. 